listening to this episode of Monster Kid Radio, head over to UrbanSurfKings.com and check out the band, well, the Urban Surf Kings. They're the band behind the song we're playing this week, Go Go Island. It's from their album, Flying Saucers Attack. It appears on this episode of the podcast with their permission. Welcome to this week's show. I'm your writer, producer, and host, Derek M. Cook, and I'm excited to have a new voice on the podcast, we are welcoming David Steigman to the show. He's a writer over at EuroCultUV.com. I first met him when he appeared on an episode of the Dorado Films podcast. He mentioned this movie in conversation with me, and I decided, you know what, we've got to have him on Monster Kid Radio to talk about the 1966 film, The Navy versus The Night Monster. So he's going to come and join me to talk about that here in a moment. Just so everybody knows, he and I, well, we ended up talking about a number of other things after we played a round of the Classic Five, which led to an in-depth conversation about Godzilla. We ended up talking about movie music, and we are just kind of all over the place. So I promise there is conversation about the Navy versus the Night Monsters, but there's also all sorts of other classic monster kid conversation gravy throughout the rest of the episode. Like I said, I met David when he was on an episode of the Dorado Films podcast. You can find that over at doradofilms.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. He appeared on episode five of that podcast when we talked about the movie Island of the Doom. So when you're done listening to this and you're done checking out the album Flying Saucers Attack, you can go check that episode out as well. But you know what? Let's get to the Navy versus the Night Monsters here right after this. its way back to terrorize the living. The terrifying horror of a dreaded man called Dr. Terror who, with his deck of mystic cards, could foretell destiny. Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. It's 1966. The space race is on. The Cold War is heating up. And giant monsters are destroying Japan. Dai Kaiju Attack. The serialized giant monster story. Presented free every week on DaikaijuAttack.com and SDSullivan.com. Become a member of the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today. 
seven young people shipwrecked on a mysterious island. The island was deserted. Not even birds or animals dared to come here. What did they find? Seaweed, fish, and turtle's eggs. Anything we can eat, as well as snakes and lizards. Just let me finish. There's a lot of grass growing around here. You can eat the roots. You can eat the roots of a lot of plants here. You never thought of that, did you? They were driven to the edge of starvation. Food was scarce, and they were forbidden to eat the mushrooms that grew on the island. Fear and hunger turned them against each other. But Tango will help me live. I haven't been hungry since I left the ship. Mamie. Oh, help me. Help me. Please. Can't we eat the mushrooms now? That would really be the end of us. Akiko! monster. Can they escape the dreaded Matongo? You'll find out when you see Matongo! A lot of listeners know that I also produce the Dorado Films podcast, and it was through that podcast that I met this week's guest on Monster Kid Radio. I'd like to welcome David Steigman. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you for coming on to this show. I had a lot of fun talking about Island of the Doomed with you back in episode five of the Dorado Films podcast. During that conversation, you mentioned a movie that I thought, you know what? I need to talk about this movie on Monster Kid Radio with David. We're going to talk about the Navy versus the Night Monsters from 19, what is it, 66? 1966. Excellent. Uh, The seas were planted. I guess, again. <laughs> Ooh, the seeds were planted. I did for this discussion, yes. <laughs> We've branched out from the Island of the Doom to Navy versus the Night Monster. Are you, you going to start oh, that no, up worry, again? I'm not going to start this again. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> it just seemed like it seemed very appropriate how we segued Island of the Doom to Navy versus the Night Monsters. So why not use some old jokes? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, you went on for a good like five minutes on the Dorado Films show with like different puns about trees and all that, and I... Man, I left it all in there. It was a fun <laughs> little bit. So I was like, you know, uh, with, with that sense of humor, I got to have him on MKR. Got to have him on MKR. <laughs> I'll get, I'm sure I'll have some more puns again, but I don't want to get repetitive with uh, with tree puns. Oh, no worries. No worries. You know, whenever we have somebody new on Monster Kid Radio, I like to play a little game with them. We have a game that we call the Classic Five here on Monster Kid Radio, and I've got a deck of cards here. Uh, there's probably a good 50, 60, 70 cards in this deck, and each card has a this or that, which movie do you prefer with that one style type question, all about classic monster movies. Sounds perfect. I'm, I'm going to draw five cards randomly. We're just going to go through here, and we're going to let the listeners get to know David through the classic five. You ready to play? I am more than ready. All right, card number one. What character from a classic monster movie would you want as an action figure? 
I would go with Godzilla. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, alive, surging up from the depths of the sea on a tidal wave of terror to wreak vengeance on mankind. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, it's alive. A gigantic beast stalking the earth, crushing all before it in a cyclonic cavalcade of electrifying horror, <laughs> raging through the streets on a rampage of total destruction. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Incredible titan of terror. Wiping out a city of six million in a holocaust of flame. Jet planes cannot destroy it. Bombs cannot kill it. All modern weapons fail. Is this the end of our civilization? Can the scientists of the world find a way to stop this creature? For the answer, see Godzilla, king of the monsters. You may wish to deny it. But your eyes tell you it's true. A tale to stun the mind. More fantastic than any ever written by Jules Verne. More terrifying than any ever shown on the screen. Awesome. Incredible. Unbelievable. A story beyond your wildest dreams. Dynamic violence. Savage action. Spectacular thrills. Godzilla, king of the monsters. Fantastic beyond comprehension. Gripping beyond compare. Astounding beyond belief. The mightiest monster of them all. See Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Actually, I already have plenty of action figures with him, but I'll take another one. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, you know, you and I have talked a lot uh, through Facebook, and yeah, you're, you're a big old kaiju fan, so I'm, I'm imagining yeah. you've got a handful, yeah. an army you want, you want a of different, Godzilla. You want a different classic monster, like a, or do you, is, I mean, I consider Godzilla classic. So, no, uh, Godzilla is classic. There are no right or wrong answers here. Okay. <laughs> um, I just imagine you've already got a, a legion of Godzilla there, so. At least one from each movie. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, okay. All right, card yeah, number. I'll show you some pictures sometime if you want to see. I got I got some mammoth ones and I got some itty bitty <laughs> ones. So, uh, yeah. You never have too many Godzilla. You can never have enough Godzilla. That and bacon. You can't have enough of it. What's the plural of Godzilla? Is there a plural? Godzilla's Godzilla. I think he's just Godzilla. Okay. <laughs> Even if there's more than one, I think in the Matthew Broderick one he had children. I think they might have been called Godzillas, but that doesn't count since that really wasn't Godzilla. So. I think he's just Godzilla, you know, every time he shows up. You know, there's only one per movie, but I think in the Godzilla universe there's absolutely several of them, but I, I think they've all just been called Godzilla. So, uh, you know, if they do a multiple Godzilla... Actually, now that I remember, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, 1974, scientists goes, two Godzillas! What does this mean? It means there's two Godzillas, you moron. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, okay. So, yes, there are two. I guess it is Godzilla's. So. Excellent. Okay, so card number two, question number two. Favorite classic monster movie sequel? Let me think for a second here. I will go with Bride of Frankenstein. That's a good one. That's like off the top of my head. That was like the first thing that popped to mind. I was, I was thinking of sequel, sequel, sequel. Who's got the sequel? <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bride of Frankenstein, definitely. Right on. All right, card number three, question number three. Favorite Ed Wood film? Plan 9 from Outer Space. It is safe to state that the grandchildren of some of the people in this theater will not be born on Earth.
come from the bowels of hell. A transformed race of walking dead. Zombies guided by a master plan for complete domination of the Earth. Plan 9 from outer space. Starring the most frightmarish cast ever, Bella Lugosi, the seductive vampira, and Thor Johnson as the walking dead. Turn off your electro gun! No! No! Stop him, Dennis! I can't get it! It's jammed! Stop him, you fool! Bullets bounce off their bodies. Rockets, missiles, jets cannot stop their death ships. What earthly power can stop this terror? For a glimpse of things to come, see this blast of screen suspense. For it could be happening right now. Just because it's so famous and so awful that it's wonderful. Right on. I love Dudley Manlove's uh, comment, stupid, stupid, and it gets whacked. <laughs> you know, it's a fun movie. I know a lot of people say it's terrible, and, it, it, you know, it is pretty inept in spots, but I just have a blast watching it. It just makes me smile. Yeah. If that's what a movie can do, then it's a success. So There you go. Yeah, it makes you smile, then why not? Card number four, Billy the Kid versus Dracula, or Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter? Neither. Wow. Not a fan, <laughs> huh? No, thank you. No, they're so bad, I don't even own them. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, thanks. All right. <laughs> even I have my limits. Oh, <laughs> I, wow. I'll take Plan 9 over both of us. <laughs> oh, come on, it's got John Carradine, though, and Billy the Kid... Jesse, come on. Uh, William Bodine, director. Okay, okay, all right, all right, all right. Like I said, no right or wrong answers, no right or wrong answers. All right, final card, final question, and this is completely random, but the Classic Five has a way of always throwing something up that is completely relevant to the guest at hand. Favorite Godzilla foe? <laughs> wow, that's a – I will go with uh, – there's so many of them. Jeez, uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually – I do like King Ghidorah. We'll go with that because he's appeared in most of the Godzilla films, and he's equal on par with Mega Godzilla in toughness. I just like uh, the design better than a robot Godzilla. I thought a three-headed flying dragon is a, a little more creative than a, a robot version of Godzilla. So we'll, we'll, we'll give King Ghidra or Ghidorah, depending on how I feel about pronouncing it. But uh, uh, we'll say an honorable second place Mega Godzilla. Okay. But I I also like Titanosaurus. You know, even Anguirus in, in Godzilla Raids Again was a great Godzilla folk. I mean, that was, I think the fight scene between the two in that movie was, was just crazy. It was just, they, they, the, the camera speeded up and they looked like they were really going tooth and nail. Man, you, these are tough questions, man. <laughs> well, that was the last one, so you're off the hook. <laughs> oh my god, my, my brain's already fried. I'm no, just kidding. <laughs> that's to warm things up, man. That's, that's what this is supposed to do is get you, get you thinking, you know. Then, then yeah, we'll yeah. dive into the Navy versus the Night Monsters, yeah. you know, so. I would love to see Godzilla versus Gamera, but, you know, but I've been saying that for like 20 years. Uh, already, I think a lot so of people I... have been saying that for so long. It'll never happen. I don't think it'll ever happen. Not the way Toho is, but. Yeah. Man. Seems unlikely, but. If you ask me about Gamera, my favorite Gamera foe, I'd say Gaos, easily. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah, I like Gaos. Now, see, I'm down with Legion. Legion's my guy. He was awesome. Yeah. Uh, but Gaos, I've always just, uh, even the 60s and the 90s version, I was, I've always found them really appealing. It's good stuff, so, man. I love the kaiju movies. <laughs> good stuff. I can't get enough of those. Oh, no, it's fantastic. And completely not related, but how excited are you about the uh, the new Toho Godzilla? Godzilla Resurgence or Shin, Shin Godzilla? Yeah, 
Yes, yeah. I'm very much looking forward to it. I I mean, I love the suit, the design. The tail is very intriguing, like that red um, spot at the tail. Based on the trailers, it looks really exciting. It looks, you know, it looks like another great Godzilla film, and uh, he's as popular as, as ever, at least in America. <laughs> I don't know about Japan, but, you know, they... You know, his series kept going on and off because of uh, the box office failures. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they can keep making them and just have them play here in American theaters. We'll watch them. Oh, yeah. That's like the only thing I would see. In it. That's the only any time I go to a theater, it's basically been for Godzilla movies like uh, Godzilla 2000, Godzilla 85, Godzilla 2014. It takes a lot to get me to go to the theater. So uh, it, it takes a Godzilla to get me there. <laughs> Hey, I've only seen a handful of Godzilla films theatrically, so I would love to see the new one that way. Just because I mean, it's a big Godzilla, but you got to see it on the big screen. Got yeah, to exactly. And I mean, hear it. I mean, you know, <laughs> oh, Godzilla in stereo in a movie theater. Oh, I mean, when I was watching Godzilla 2014, that was just. <laughs> I mean, I wish I could have that in my apartment, <laughs> that size and that noise. But I think <laughs> the whole building would crumble. But so. Uh, yeah, I mean, just seeing seeing a monster movie on a on a huge screen to me, you can't beat it. Exactly, I mean, and yeah. listeners know that I'm a film score junkie, so I've considered ordering the film score from uh, Japanese Amazon for okay. Shin Godzilla, but it's like forty five, fifty bucks to bring it over. So I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. man, that's that's a little tight for me right now. But God, I just want to hear it and I want to see it and I'm mm, super yeah, just stoked l- for it. Hear it first. Uh, I would recommend anything from. Uh, uh, Akira Ifukubi, who did most of the scores in oh, the sure. Godzilla Showa era. You know, if you've, if you've seen some of those, uh, his music will give you goosebumps. Well, at least it gives, you know, it's, it's, it, it's really, it really digs. It's, uh, yeah, I can't, I can think of goosebumps right now, but he, uh, his music will make you tremble if, if you listen to it, whether you're watching the movie or just on a, a CD, which I have a couple. Oh, sure. No, Akira uh, Fukube's yeah, I, scores are yeah. iconic, for, and, yep. and we call them iconic for a reason. Certainly, uh, they're just fantastic. So, yeah, because they're that good. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, and it gets you motivated. It can pump you up, and then all of a sudden you're sitting here with a box of Kleenex. You know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like, oh no, he's dying. You know, that, that Godzilla versus Destroyer. Talk about a film that is like an emotional roller coaster. Whew, man. That one's tough, I mean, one man. You're like, that one's yeah, tough. That's a tough one. I mean, the music. I mean, it's it, if if you watch it without the music, it would not have the same effect. To be honest, so the music makes that movie, and it makes you emotional in so many levels. Whether you're like angry because Destroyers like wiped out Godzilla's young, or if uh, Godzilla is getting his revenge, and there's like a rip roaring blow them up scene or the I know I'm not spoiling anything because I know most people listening probably <laughs> have seen these movies sure. I, I'd yeah, like to I don't think, think so. so yeah so you know the meltdown scene when you put the music in there and it's epic absolutely epic you have to really love the genre to really appreciate it I think I don't know I think that music I mean it's it, it turns up in various facets of pop culture yeah. you know every once in a while you'll hear it used um you know, it's like a wrestler's entrance music or uh, in a yeah. commercial or, or something like that. So, I mean, it's got some pop culture resonance as well. And I think, again, we call it, we call it iconic for a reason. It, it happens to that music because it's so moving and so good. Yeah, very much. As far as I'm concerned, he's up there with the Bernard Hermans and the mm-hmm. John Barrys and Certainly. the John Williams. He, uh, 
It'd be kind of funny to watch uh, Star Wars and you hear his Akira's music. <laughs> 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 and you hear the Godzilla theme and it's like Luke Skywalker fighting it out with Darth Vader. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> there, there's a fan edit somebody should put together because I, I don't have the time for it. There but it I wonder how that would work. <laughs> yeah, so any listeners, you want to do a fan edit, be my guest. Or Superman flying, you know, instead of the usual theme, let's let's put a Godzilla theme. Even the Godzilla, you know, like the... Um, so I quote unquote the B movies like the Mysterians or or uh, Battle in Outer Space. Mm-hmm. You know the music themes are just dynamic. I mean, I don't I don't think there's a a tune he didn't I didn't like that he played. Now that I think about it, yeah, I was actually hurriedly trying to type up his get his filmography to pop up here on my computer while we're talking here because there's so much more than just the kaiju films that he did. It's yeah. all gorgeous music. We are so yeah. off track for what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could save this data and save it for uh, stock footage ah, <laughs> nah, what, for oh. a future Godzilla movie. <laughs> Is that a segue? Because there's so much stock footage in the Navy versus yeah, the Night Monsters? Yeah, I, I, I had to. Yeah, because you know, the, some of the early 70s Godzillas uh, had stock footage. So. Yeah, true, true. In fact, it's true. Yeah, it, it, and that's a very famous word in Godzilla theology. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, stock that, footage. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, Definitely. nothing like seeing Megalon um, uses Ray using uh, Ghidra's three-headed, you know, his his, uh, his lightning bolts. I mean, there's more stock footage in the in the film than the actual original Megalon and and Godzilla versus Gigant. It's it's hysterical. But you know, at the time, there was budget problems. But at least they kept the music. You know. You know, they kept his music intact, and they used every single tune he did up until that time. So, thank God for that. True, true. All right, all right. So, let's let's put the kaiju behind us for now. For now, because I'm sure we could talk about kaiju forever. I love this stuff. There's never been a pattern to these Pacific vanishings. They seem to happen at random. Communication stopped. The crew's too busy to handle it to, to report. Handle what? Something that can catch up with the plane and snatch the people out of it. The Navy versus the Night Monsters. Starring Mamie Van Doren, who triggered earthly emotions in the midst of unearthly events. Anthony Isley, fighting fiendish, crawling things. From Antarctica, frozen for a million years. To a small naval outpost in the Pacific comes a cargo of deviltry, devastation, death. Attacking bodies, destroying minds. Chilling terror in a desperate, endless fight against a nameless horror. Those things are multiplying. There's no telling how fast. I wouldn't be surprised. We've got up to be hundreds, maybe even thousands. The whole island would be covered with them. We gotta talk about the Navy versus the Night Monsters. I thought I had seen it, and unfortunately, I hadn't. So this was a first time viewing for me. So I don't know. Maybe that's a good thing because I got to experience a movie for the first time, brand new to me. And yeah, and then wow. that initial reaction is, you know, the first response is always uh, how you always feel about it. So, uh, you know, that first impression is always going to stay with you. I dug it. I liked it a lot. I'm so glad I watched it. It was a lot of fun. And there's some issues. I mean. 
you know, there's some issues, but you know, you're, you, you, the guy who says he likes to watch Plan Nine from Outer Space because it makes him smile is saying that. So, you know, of yeah. course, <laughs> I, I I'm gonna love the movie warts and seams and zippers up the back of suits or whatever and all. I love it all. This was a, just a, a treat to watch. But you had watched it. Well, not exactly a hundred times, maybe about seventy-four. I was gonna say you told know, me a hundred in Facebook, but it's been quite a bit. I've seen it many, many times since I was a. A kid, I think I first saw it on uh, TBS. Then it got released on home video from uh, Wade Williams uh, via Image, and um, I've been watching it ever since. And it got a a crummy DVD release. And when you get desperate for uh, owning DVDs and replacing videotapes because you don't have a lot of room on your shelf, you decide, what the heck? Let's get a crummy DVD. Hey, <laughs> it's VHS quality, so it is no upgrade or downgrade. It's just right down the middle. So. Um, so yeah, I've, I've had, uh, a couple of incarnations of it. That's basically my, my history. It all started on TBS when they started having all those great monster, uh, they used to play monster movies all the time back in like the 70s and 80s and, and I remember watching it one day and I was like, I like this. <laughs> it does feel like, um, it would fit well in the, in the TV movie kind of slot. You know, I, I can imagine this being hosted by a horror host or, or Joe Bob Briggs yeah. introducing it or something like that. Or even Elvira. Oh, certainly. Yeah, it definitely has that Elvira feel to it. I, I'm, yeah. I can't imagine what she would say about Mamie Van Doren in the film. Uh, I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sure she would uh, come up with some, some pretty snazzy ideas. Oh, oh sure. <laughs> you know, the movie doesn't get a lot of good reviews online. You know, the Internet Movie no. Database gives it one star for crying out loud. Like, that's, that's not fair. I think this movie... Yeah, delivers yeah, for what it's supposed 8. to be. Yeah. 2.8 out of 10. It should be a 3. <laughs> oh, it should be a 3, huh? <laughs> no. no it, it, I don't know. You know, the, who knows who's... I mean, these could be like people that have standards, like people who are fans of the the Blancas and the Gone with the Winds of the World. <laughs> and then they decide to watch this movie, and then they go, oh my God, what did I do? I don't know. Who who knows who... who which, I, I, I'm going to put my rating on there. I'll try and give it a boost to three. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So you said you watched this when you were younger. Like, how familiar are you with the background of this movie? Have you done a lot of looking into it? Not a whole lot. Okay. I've just basically just uh, watched it, more or less, uh, to enjoy it. I haven't done any, like, searches, like, too much of the background, although it shouldn't be too hard to find some interesting okay. trivia. So, uh, well, well, I've got a little bit. I've got a little bit. So the movie is based on a book, actually, called The Monster from Earth's End, which just sounds awesome. I mean, that's a great title, and now I want to read yeah. that book. Yeah. Yes, that, that sounds great. It was written by Murray Leinster, or Leinster, I'm not sure on the pronunciation of that. But he wrote a lot, and this was a book that uh, the director of Navy vs. Night Monsters stumbled across. Uh, his name was Michael, I believe it's Howie. Maybe, maybe Hoey, and I apologize. Hoey, yeah. It is Hoey? Okay. So Michael Hoey stumbled across the novel, managed to get the rights to the novel. Then he wrote the screenplay as well, and then directed it. Now, the movie went through a couple of different titles along the way. They ended up trying yeah. to call it The Night Crawlers at one point. This was Michael's idea, Hoey's idea. Again, is it Hoey? Howie. Uh, that sounds – I don't want to call it Hoey. Michael. Because, you know, Michael's uh, idea. Okay. Let's just call it Michael. All right. So he didn't want to <laughs> call it The Monster from Earth's End. He said that was a little too, I don't know, much. So he wanted to call it The Nightcrawlers. The studio ended up calling it The Navy versus The Nightcrawlers or The Navy versus The Night Monsters. And apparently Michael hated that title, but 
you know, what are you going to do? Oh, well. It seems like it was also known as Monsters of the Night, which sounds pretty cool, too. Yeah. Uh, no, I, you know, the Navy versus the Night monster sounds a little, I don't know, but maybe that kind of gives it its TV movie or TV-ready feel. I mean, this sounds like a great yeah. TV B-movie. It takes away the seriousness of the movie. Like, it's something that you you probably wouldn't see in today's film titling. You know, just they, right. a lot of titles back then were, you know, they, it was like anything goes. I, again, I don't think you'd see see something like the Navy versus the Night Monsters unless it was for comedic purposes. Yeah, it does sound like a sci-fi movie, right? A sci-fi TV channel movie? Yeah. Something like that. Coming up next, uh, Navy versus the Night Monsters on ABC. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you said it kind of takes the edge off the seriousness of it. And I think that was probably by design. From what I understand, Jack Broder, the producer, ended up, kind of lightening up the movie quite a bit, had some other scenes shot with Michael, the director, not being involved, and inserted some of this stuff into the film that was not intended to begin with. And uh, a lot of actually seeing the reveal of the tree monsters early was Broder's response, or Broder's fault. Um, the director didn't really want anything to do with that. He wanted to keep it all hidden in shadows until the very end. He wanted the characters to be completely isolated, so almost all of the off-island stuff was yeah. all done later. Jack Broder and company did that and put it into the movie later. You know, I, I listened to a little bit of a commentary that Michael did with I believe it was Tom Weaver uh, for the film, and okay. he doesn't have a lot of nice things to say about Jack Broder. I mean, he's not venomous about it, but I mean, he's kind of laughing about it now, or he was laughing about it then at the recording of the commentary. Yeah, yeah, it just seems like Jack kind of went in and with a heavy hand, kind of made the movie longer than Michael made it and put some extra stuff in there. Like that bit with the balloon at the very beginning, that had nothing to do with what was in the original script. I know, I was wondering about that. I was like, it would turn most people off that were, you know, hoping to see some monsters at that time, and here we are watching a man blow up balloons. <laughs> it just, again, that, yeah. that, that tongue-in-cheek part of the, the film, when it turns out later, if you stick with it, it's not tongue-in-cheek. Right, the bit with the balloons, and, and we introduce two characters during that sequence, but then later in the movie, we get reintroduced to those characters again. So there's this awkward kind of introduction Double introduction because they went in and did that bit with this guy who's having trouble blowing up a helium or, or a weather balloon. And it's this totally yeah. silly bit of slapstick that just didn't seem to fit. No, it didn't. You know, he's the producer, so what are you going to do? Like the first half of the, not the first, maybe the first half, you know, when they're building up to the monsters, it, it just seems like it's going to be like some silly, unfunny comedy, but then suddenly the monsters appear and the whole movie does like a 180. And then it gets suspenseful, and then the tree creatures are killing everybody, and all of a sudden those smiles on their faces turn into fear. I mean, even the movie poster itself is pretty kind of silly over the top. It kind of reveals what's doing all the killing. I mean, that, again, that was something that the director was kind of yeah. down on. He's like, the movie poster told you, the, you know, gave it away. It spoiled it. It's spoiler. It's, it's plant monsters or tree creatures or... Uh, Mutated vegetation, or I guess they refer to it as omnivorous plants. Right. The guy said they ate everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, penguins, humans, and dogs. <laughs> yeah. And the other trees. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So. They had about 10 days to shoot the movie. And they couldn't even keep all the cast there for the entire time. There's a couple of shots, especially with the doctor. Yeah. Where they had to use a double because he just wasn't available at the end. Oh, my God. But there's a bit towards the end where they're running through the forest, and the, the, we're talking about the older doctor type, the the 
yeah. the gray hair, the older guy. When they're running through the forest, there's a, or through the trees, there's a couple of shots where he's intentionally hiding his face behind the guy he's running behind. Because he's not supposed to be there. He, he's like not. He's, <laughs> a, he's a double. It's they, they it's fake shemp. They fake shemped it. They you know they totally <laughs> you know, um, which yeah, is a Sam Raimi reference for people who don't know, but. Uh, or, it could be Edward's chiropractor there pretending to be Bela Lugosi. <laughs> keep a little bit more in the classic wheelhouse. Exactly. Exactly. There we go. Keep it a classic, people. There, there we go. There we go. Keep it classic. I like that. That should be on a T-shirt. Um, yeah, it should be. But I yeah, I mean, totally low-budget affair. They had 10, do- 10 yes. days. Just about said $10. They had 10 days to shoot it. Uh, I bet some actors walked off with $10. Yeah, I don't know what the budget was. <laughs> I know that the director's fee ended up, a lot of it went to getting the novel rights and things like that. So he walked away not making a lot of money off this thing. For for a low budget, you know, the, the creatures are effective. So, I mean, this is another example of a low budget movie that uh, it got a lot of mileage on that budget. Uh, you know, the monsters are not that bad. In fact, they're pretty good. No, I think I mean, they're, they're pretty good. Yeah, there, there's one yeah. shot at the end where it looks a little silly to me, but overall, mm-hmm. I think the monsters look great. The, the tree monsters, the night monsters, the night crawlers, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, or tree stump monsters. That's probably what you're referring to at the end. Is like yeah. they they blow up the these little weird looking tree stumps that don't look anything like the monsters. And that was another and thing that was added later. That was not added, something Michael yeah, shot. That was something else. It was, and you know, the other thing about that shot is for the entire movie, we're told that these trees move around at night to find food to eat, because during the day they can't, you know, pull in sunlight and do the whole, you know, plants. And there they were in broad daylight moving around. <laughs> exactly, and they look like, <laughs> like they were stumps. They, they were stumps. Like probably, so, yeah, like garbage cans with tarp put over them, and yeah, exactly. They don't look very threatening at all. And then they throw in the stock footage of the Blue Angels at the end as they blow. Yeah, you know what? We're getting way ahead yeah. of ourselves. Yeah. Oh, we could do the movie in reverse. Like, oh, you know, there you go. Stock backwards. And, oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, but that was one of the things I do recall that it was definitely added on because tree stumps in the daylight while these creatures are like taller than humans at night. And they're, there's that scene where the guy's arm gets ripped out of his socket. Which is probably the strongest scene in the whole movie. I was surprised to see that actually. I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and it didn't look yeah. bad. I mean, they didn't exploit no. it too much and it wasn't like he was gushing blood or anything, but yeah. you know, it didn't look bad for what it was. I'm like, wow, that's, that's kind of impressive. I got a question for you. <laughs> did you think of another movie after you saw that arm getting ripped off? Did, did some other movie about a man's arm getting ripped off come to mind? It came to mind as soon as I saw it, but I was wondering if, if, if maybe you thought of another film with a similar scene. With a similar scene? A similar arm-ripping-off scene. Huh. I'm racking my brains here. Um, okay. What, what do you got? I don't know. It's the brain that wouldn't die, the, the creature from the closet, that scientist. Oh. Uh, that arm gets ripped off. That's Remember, right. He, he, his, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I, every time I see that scene, that's like the first movie I think of. I was like... You know, I guess arm ripping was pretty popular in the 60s, <laughs> but it just, I, I was like, maybe, I was like, maybe there was some inspiration to that scene. Uh, maybe, maybe not, but it just, it just, it always reminds me of that, you know, not to digress into the brain that wouldn't die, but it just, you know, that arm ripping scene reminds me of what, of, of that film, that one scene where the scientist's good arm gets torn off. No, that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And, you know, you're right. I wonder if that was a thing because really how hard is it to pull off that effect? 
I mean, you have the guy just tuck his arm inside his shirt, right? Yeah. And then maybe strap yeah. it down a little bit if you have to. It'd be a lot easier to do that than have a guy like hold his leg up and do a leg amputation or something like that. So exactly. I mean, in the movie, the characters, you know, they, they talk about like, oh, this guy's head was ripped off, but you don't see it on camera. But the the arm, you see it on camera. In today's current contemporary stuff, very easy to do, I guess. Back then, uh, heads being ripped off was uh, a little tougher, I, I suppose. But, right, and probably a little bit more gruesome. You didn't see it very yeah, much for the sixty. Yeah. I mean, you just see it in the monster of Piedras Blancas, which is getting a Blu-ray release later this year. I can't wait. But I know, uh, I, yeah. know I, I know. Talk about celebration! <laughs> oh man, that's gonna be great. Not, yeah, that, not for that the head ripping scene, but because it's just an awesome monster. So. Oh yeah, I mean the guy. I mean, look, he's, he's holding the head on the cover. You see, that? <laughs> like there's this. I think he, there's something where he's holding this head. I think there's a scene or yeah, uh, I've seen. I think there's a movie poster of it. Uh, yeah, where he's holding the head there. Yeah, and then Daniel Horn did an amazing piece of artwork for that for a cover of Monsters from the Vault magazine of that scene as well. And it's just fantastic. <laughs> anyway, again, we're we're kind of digress. <laughs> and this time it's, it's my so fault. It's so easy to digress. It's, it's you know, my the fault. The Navy versus the Nightline. While it's while we like it, you know, it always makes us think of other. Wonderful uh, monstrosities, good or bad. So, well, okay. it's very easy to. Well, let's play on that, that because when I'm watching this, I started thinking about the thing from another world, and I think that was probably intentional. The Antarctic, where they in the beginning, where they're taking what do they call it? The frozen continent at the bottom of the world. Exactly. Exactly. What a, what a build up to Antarctica. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, it's the whole vibe where you've got this isolated group of characters having to deal with some sort of alien or monstrous-like threat, which is yeah. what the thing from the other world was, which was Carpenter's The Thing. If you take out all of the footage and all of the scenes away from the base, you know, mm -hmm. the, the people say, we're going to quarantine the island, and we're going to send in the pilots, and we're going to napalm everything. Take all that stuff out. The, the yep. core story is about this group of people, most of them military or scientist types, trying to survive yep. this this outsider threat, this monstrous threat. And I totally got a vibe from the thing from another world. And again, going back to that commentary that I listened to, that was totally yeah. intentional. I mean, the director's like, yes, I wanted to do that with this film. When the plant monsters appear, then I start thinking about Day of the Triffids. So, yes. Uh, you know, it, it takes the elements of a few, you know, a few ideas here and there, and it makes its own movie. <laughs> sure. Well, and that's really kind of how these things work, right? I mean, everything's a remix anyway. Everything has inspiration from other things. Now, at this point, you can't make a completely original film. Everybody's pulling from everything else. And I, I feel like there are a lot of elements that were pulled from, from fantastic movies in this. The Thing from Another World, Day of the Triffids. There's a lot of great stuff in here. The movie itself is set on this small island. You said the Antarctic, but that's just where the it, plants come island. from. Yeah, the, yeah, the plants the, are actually... The Antarctic is uh, the beginning. That was where the thing comparison came in but they're, exactly. they're on this i think it's called gao island Gao island it's a little south pacific the, island it's called i think it's called gao island mm -hmm. a u.s navy base right where the navy is and that's where the plant creatures grow and drop their seeds and rip people's arms off and <laughs> <laughs> and mangle other ones there's some some a couple of effective scenes for, for 1966 my somewhat i don't know if it's i would consider it on the stronger side because it was some other stuff from that era which was still stronger so but this was back then they were probably exploring these uh, territories of arm rippings and you know uh there are some i think the arm ripping is probably the most visceral but you also see some burns some acid-like burns and i was never clear was the acid like in the tree was it acidic sap was it some sort of venom the tree was using i wasn't really clear on that 
No, I don't think anyone was really clear. Well, and, you know, that's that's perfectly acceptable in a monster movie because, you know, if we don't know how it works, it makes it scarier, right? Yeah. It, it might have been from the creatures, you know, assume, you know, at night maybe they're maybe they're oozing or dripping it and it just kind of oozes off and it's an, it's acidic. I mean, I, I was wondering about that myself. <laughs> like, uh, you know, there was acid on the plane early on and there was that same same acidic thing later in the film, but we're not quite sure how it's getting there. Or my only thesis would be that the monster was oozing it off its body while walking or crawling or whatever they were, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Yeah. And we see people getting burnt by this stuff and and we get a few shots here and there. And I suspect if there's a better transfer of this available, we'd see it in greater detail. Oh God, yes! And this, this, like I said, this looks like it just came from the VHS. I replaced. <laughs> sure, yeah, I could see this totally being like a VHS or a one-inch tape transfer to DVD. It still holds up. I feel like. I mean, it doesn't distract too much. Sure, I'm sure we'd like to see Baby Van Dorn in better definition. Oh God, yeah, <laughs> that's it for sure. <laughs> you know, as well as the other characters and the monster itself, and just kind of see some of the stuff a little clearer. Yeah. But you know, I mentioned Mamie Van Dorn and. What was the guy's name who ran the base? I, I, they, they, Charlie Brown. That's right. <laughs> Anthony Isley is um, Lieutenant Charles Brown, and he's like called Charlie Brown throughout the movie. And I'm every time I hear him, I'm like going, "Oh, good grief!" Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he's Charlie Brown. He's like the most successful Charlie Brown in pop culture history. <laughs> he doesn't kick and he doesn't miss the football on the on Lucy's foot in this movie. He he, he has mammy. <laughs> So uh, this is a very successful Charlie Brown. <laughs> Why do they say his name over and over and over again? That's what I don't get. Were they just trying to rub it in, kind of make a joke about his name, or because every time they say it, it's kind of like almost kind of discrediting, kind of like, oh, way to go, Charlie Brown, you know? I know. As soon as there's like something goes wrong on the base, okay, Charlie Brown, what did you do now? <laughs> exactly. But Mammy, who's who, I think her name is Nora Hall, uh-huh. very generic name. But I'll just call her Mammy. Is it Mammy or Mamie? I've heard Mamie, both. Mamie. I call, I, I've always called her Mammy. I'm okay. always, I'm 100% sure it's Mamie Vandora, but I think as I was growing up as a kid, I'd always like say Mammy. Okay. No, hey. hey. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, it is actually Mamie. I just... Fair enough. You know, Fair just, enough. I wanted to make yeah, sure I was but, saying it right. <laughs> no, it, it, it is Mamie, but I always like, oh, oh Mammy. <laughs> uh, hey, no, that works in that context. That works just fine. Yeah. So but yeah, she she's definitely Mamie. Uh so, yeah, it's, um, what were we talking about again? Mamie well, she's and, oh, the nurse, Charlie. and she's, she's got a nurse. thing for Charlie Brown. Yeah, she calls him Chuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that what Peppermint, oh, like, pa- isn't that, is it Peppermint yeah, Patty that Peppermint calls Charlie? Yeah, Peppermint Patty Chuck. Yeah. I swear, maybe, maybe they watched the Peanuts movie before they <laughs> made this film, and... <laughs> And just made some alterations. I, I swear to God, it was just like it was the most ironic name on earth. Mm-hmm. Like you called him Charlie Brown. I mean, th- those movies, those Peanuts films were being made back then. Was- well, the comic strip definitely dates to back then. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, they're, they're kind of our two leads. There's the weatherman as well in there, and there's this weird, not quite love triangle. But the weatherman's got the hots for the nurse, and the nurse doesn't really want to get in with him. He wants to get with Charlie Brown. Yep. And- Good grief! Yeah, <laughs> I think what's the? I think he's like uh, he's like Smalding, uh, CPO Bill Gray. Yeah, yeah, and he's got he wants to put the moves, and he's using in, in the beginnings, you know, sleazy pickup lines, and <laughs> right. he wants, and and she's like saying no, 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 but she she runs to Charlie Brown, going yes, 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 
Chuck. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, there is that love triangle, and he's jealous, and they get into this fight scene, which was, wasn't too bad. And No, there's this fist fight scene, and then after that, it's like they're done. That, yeah. that animosity seems to fall away after that. It's like they just need to release the pressure with the fist fight, and then that's it. It's never referenced again. Yep, and she runs to Chuck and gives him a big kiss. Well, and at one point in the movie, she even is telling Chuck, you know, I love you. Let's, you know, let's let's get together. Let's There's this implication. She wants to yeah. get married and do this whole thing, and I need more time. Like, yeah, he needs more time. Meanwhile, he's got this, she has this offer on the table from the, the weatherman. <laughs> exactly. Thank God it was just a subplot. I mean, that could be a movie in itself, you know. <laughs> That's true. You know, the two, two guys in... in uh, Mamie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely yeah, that's, right. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a drama, that, you know, it's a melodrama all by itself, mm-hmm. but, you know. So you get a little drama mixed in with this horror sci-fi cheese fest, I guess. <laughs> Which you kind of need, really, to kind of balance yeah. it out. And I mean, that's, when you have a movie like this in the, in the mold of the thing from another world or something like that, where you have these isolated characters and you're dealing with this external threat, to me, that's where some of the most yeah. exciting stuff happens is the characters exactly. interacting with each other and, and seeing where their drama comes from. Sure, the monster's great, and we've got to worry about the monsters, whether you're dealing with this, whether it's like Night of the Living Dead, where they're all in the cabin. You know, any of these ship-in-a-bottle type stories, that's where the real drama is for me and where it gets really exciting. And I think these guys and a few gals pulled it off okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically these two guys that are uh, overdosed on testosterone going after Mamie. I mean, it, it helps the story out because you, you need some characterization somewhere. Otherwise, you know, the monster can't save every movie. So, uh, you know, you need a little bit of uh, something else to spice it up a little bit. So this this worked pretty good. Mamie's, Mamie's wardrobe. I want to talk about that real quick. This is something I picked up from the commentary that I listened to. But Mamie's tight top, you mean? <laughs> yeah, so the entire cast, it was supposed to be all a military thing. And they wanted to put her in a military outfit. And she really didn't want anything to do with that. She's like, you know, I've got some other ideas. She actually had some costumes designed for her personally, invited the director to her home so she could show him, you know, look at this, look at this. I want to do this and this. And her justification was, well, this dress is perfect because it's got big pockets and I can put my medical equipment in there. Like, really? Okay. okay. Uh, so he, he knew he wasn't going to win that battle. So he's like, fine, you know, whatever. We'll, we'll make you a civilian nurse. There's other civilians on the base. Let's just do that. The thing is, is that most of the wardrobe that she wanted to bring to the party, to the, the film, <laughs> she yeah. didn't wear. She only wore it a couple of times. Uh, the rest of it was just that sweater and the tight pants that she wore. Yeah. So. Oh, Mammy. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's the thing. We're a couple of guys talking about a Mammy Van Doren film. Uh, she yeah. knew what she had. And I, I, she knows what she has now. I mean, she's still active and she's still out there. Oh, yeah. She's still alive and kicking and she's on Facebook and, uh. You know, she's she's loves showing pictures of her herself, and that makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> You've made a couple of comments earlier about dropping seeds all over the island. Uh, the, the little are they seeds, little buds, kind of moving around? What did you think yeah, of those? I thought those were kind of cool. That's all they were. They were seeds, and they were moving around. The dog follows one of them, I, I believe. Exactly. And yeah. then, and then, uh, I, I was like the one scene I remember seeing them. So those seeds are out there, and they're going to become monsters as well, and they're going to take over the island. So I thought that was a, a really good idea to make the threat even bigger than the current creatures. Just you know, the the, the adults just killing, but they're planning to take over. You know? Sure. And eventually, they could spread. Uh, maybe uh, they get off the island, and those seeds they go under the water, and they start eating up the plant life and the fish life. 
And before you know it, you know, they could become a, an actual worldwide threat because uh, these seeds are going all over the place. They could have actually made a sequel or something to this movie, you know, saying uh, some of the seeds actually did land somewhere else or, uh, you know, some of them did wind up underwater and they're heading toward New York or something, you know. <laughs> I don't know if the film was more successful. They may have done a sequel, but I dare I say the seeds were planted for a sequel. Oh, here we go again. Okay. No, no. I I like the way they I like the way they are presented as part of the story. It's a great storytelling device. But I also like the way they were used and manipulated. I love that when the doctor traps them in a jar, we actually get a pretty effective shot of him showing the jar with the dirt in it, and then this thing kind of surfacing to the surface. I thought that was a very well done effect. Yeah, I thought the effects overall were good. Sure. I mean, again, just for their budget. I mean, the plants move. I don't see much in the way of string. Maybe it's because the the print is so awful you can't really see wires or anything, but I don't know. I mean, they're they're moving. I mean, they did that effective Navy officer's arm got torn off. I've seen far worse. Well, I think we all have, especially from this era. You get to the 50s and 60s. and All things considered, it it, it actually came off pretty well, some, some of those effects. Even the little seeds, I mean, sure, it looks like they're being pulled, but you don't see any wire. Again, it looks really good me. You know, overall, I think it's a pretty effective little movie. I really enjoyed watching it, and I'm glad that it came up in our conversation when we were talking about Island of the Doomed, because it gave me an opportunity yep. to check out you know, one of these movies. On Monster Kid Radio, you know, I talk about doing these classic monster movies. The thing is, is there's this finite number of classic monster movies. So it's not like they're making more movies from 1959 or 1960. No. So to find something new to me is exciting, especially with something like this that I enjoyed so much. Mm-hmm. I would watch it as a double feature with Island of the Doomed or Day of the Triffids. I think it'd be great. Like I said, we can call it the triology. From uh, the- <laughs> I, I thought you said no more puns. <laughs> I changed my mind. <laughs> you brought up the two other movies. I mean, I, <laughs> literally, it's a, it would be a trilogy with the three of them together. Maybe throw in From Hell It Came in there as well. Oh, Tabanga. Oh, there we God. Go. Ooh, that was, you know, he's more of a an actual tree as a, you know, he's not green or he's That's a little true. different. But Triffids is more more of a Navy Night Monster. Uh, that's like, to me, that's like the ultimate double feature. But again, for the the, the, the third one, Island of the Doomed, you know, because it's another plant monster. I think there's another one with some some movie called The Freak Maker. I think there's some Venus flytrap creature. From I think it's known as The Mutations. It's I think it's with Donald Pleasance, but I could be wrong. But it's some other movie that had a killer plant. Oh, Little Shop of Horrors that has a plant monster. What is it about? Making plant monsters the villain and some, like having the monster be the the plant. I mean, we have some of that in. Uh, there's one segment in Doctor Terror's House of Horror, yeah, where you have a little bit of that as well, where there's one of the monsters. I mean, Creep Show, even you know, you've got you know the plant, the plant the, monsters. Yeah, I mean, what what is it you think that makes that a thing appealing? Why are trees considered villains? I don't know. I think maybe these directors aren't vegetarian and they're taking it out <laughs> on vegetarians <laughs> all over the universe. I don't know. I just, I think killer trees, uh, they have great evil weaponry. I mean, some of them have like acid or the branches can go through human beings. You know, they can like be used like as a, as a knife, for example. Uh, trees are beautiful. And, uh, you know, and I don't, I, I think that's the reason because, you know, they want to put a twist into our lives saying not all trees are good. <laughs> I just thought of another plant monster that actually was good, <laughs> and that was Biolante. If you've seen Godzilla vs. Biolante. Oh, come on now. Uh, was Biolante yeah, really a good guy? Yes. Or Cal, I <laughs> Godzilla guess. Godzilla in the movie was still a villain, and uh, Biolante was a combination of like uh, Godzilla's DNA 
and uh, the, the professor's uh, spirit, I, I think in the early scene, his daughter gets killed, and the spirit goes into the plant. So when Godzilla is like getting ready to attack Japan, in the uh, climax, he's in this monster form, the plant, but he's actually defending Japan from Godzilla. So I guess if you had to pick any heroic plant creature, it'd probably be Biollante, because uh, Biollante didn't exactly... Uh, I mean, he killed a few people too, but it just... At the end, you know, it's it's there to protect, you know, protect the world from Godzilla. I'm sure Biolante would probably attack. I, they were sort of neutral to a certain extent. You know, they were not, they were tweeners. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> but Godzilla was considered the bad guy in, in that movie. So Biolante was heroic. I mean, at one point, there's a scene where it's a giant flower. To me, that would be like the closest thing to a, a heroic plant creature, you know, in the 60s or the 70s, when Godzilla was a, a hero, I'm sure Biollante would have been a bad plant. So it might be a little bit of a stretch, but you don't see Biollante like going off and destroying. I mean, there were some scenes where the plant kills some, a couple of characters. It was created to fight Godzilla. Hey, fair enough. Well, l- let me ask you this, kind of bring it back around. Who do you think wins in a fight, the Night Monsters or Godzilla? <laughs> Godzilla in probably 10 seconds. <laughs> really? You think so? Even with, even with the acid? Yeah, Godzilla's like 200. Actually, this new movie is going to be like the tallest he's ever been. All Godzilla has to do is atomic breath, maybe a couple of foot stomps. The threat's over. You'd have to have a giant night monster for this to be really effective, which would be a Biollante-like creature. So no question, Godzilla, just one way of atomic breath, and the, the night monsters are no more. I think you're right. There's no, there's no chance. As much as I love this movie, and I think this is probably one of my favorite movies to discover this year, especially for MKR when it comes to the classic movies that I've been watching, I think you're right. I think you're right. And if he just like blows it through uh, the entire population, the, all the trees get Well, this blasted, is true. You know? And yeah. I, I, I know we're kind of dancing around the, the final scene. Well, you know what? I mentioned Napalm earlier. That, that's how you destroy the tree monsters. You burn yeah, them. Fire. Fuel. Fire. You so you're right. You're right. I, I hadn't considered that when I brought up the... You're right. You're right. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, Godzilla could basically should be able to beat any plant. I, I suspect you have some bias here. Yeah. Just I, a little bit. I'm a little biased <laughs> for Godzilla, but I... Yeah, so we know we could go for hours, and we're about to get into that territory again. So I, I want to start wrapping up here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's let's. Go. Oh, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, the Navy versus the yeah, Night Monsters. Yeah, let's get back to Navy <laughs> versus the Night Monsters. So yeah. overall thoughts. I really enjoyed the heck of it, and clearly it's one that you enjoy. Oh yeah, so I always do. I mean, I have to get past the first twenty minutes with the what I like to you know some of the sort of sleazy, corny. Some of the dialogue is a little campy but overall you know when, when the as soon as the creatures appear it, it turns into a, I, I like to call it well done you know i don't want to sound make it sound like it's a, it's like this all-time great i mean for uh you know for that era you know for guys like us that enjoy seeing movies that are considered to be b level this is it's a lot of fun it has some suspense you know it's got Mamie Van Doren, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's got Anthony Isley, like the, one of the heralded king of the bees back in that era. And sure. he did a lot of bees. He did this one move. Uh, I don't want to digress, but no, he, no, <laughs> he did a, the Mighty Gorga, which is probably like the worst ape movie ever made. <laughs> I love the Mighty Gorga. Oh, I adore the- <laughs> that movie. The first time I saw it was on an Elvira. I love the Mighty Gorga. <laughs> 
I saw it and I couldn't stop laughing at the fight scene with the wind-up T-Rex. Oh, I love that. See, again, it's these movies, as, as, as inept as they are, they just make us smile and laugh. And, man, just I love it. That's what I remember, that toy. And in Navy versus the Night Monsters, you remember a scene, I think one of the characters kisses, uh, I think her name is Marie, the scientist. Right. And they have this really passionate kiss, and then she goes, oh, wow, we better have a cigarette. <laughs> that was, to me, classic. <laughs> that was so sign of the time. It really was. Don't you want to go further? Do you, you don't want to have a smoke now. <laughs> like, that was the big uh, love scene. I mean, let's go. We just kissed. Let's have a cigarette. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Oh well, my God, you know, I, was, I mean, it's of its era, though, man. It, it's totally of its era. And, you know, you're talking about how the monsters aren't the end-all, be-all. But, you know, by the time we get to the monsters, this movie is so clearly a lower-budget film in the 60s. Yeah. So we're kind of ready for that kind of a monster, and it works. Yeah, it works really well. You know, the, the beginning bit with the guy with the weather balloon who keeps dropping <laughs> the balloon or whatever. And even some of the stuff up in the plane, that was all shot later. That wasn't the, what the director did. That was all stuff. And it shows. I think once you get into the bulk of the movie... I think it holds up really well. Yeah. It might be considered a a made-for-TV movie. It might be effective uh, like that in today's uh, universe. Well, Perhaps. Let's, let's not uh, get crazy. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> uh, depending on what channel, maybe like the El Rey Network or, or something where they're airing monster movies. Hey, there you go. Put it on Comet TV or, or and call it good. <laughs> something. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, Mammy's been in lots of... Uh, you know, I like to call them JD movies, like juvenile delinquent, like Girls Town and mm-hmm. Girl in Black Stockings. She and the monsters, to me, were the the big hits in the in this movie. Hey, you know what? Think what you want of me when I say this, but I really like her in the movie Sex Kittens Go to College. So, I, you know, I haven't seen that one. Oh, but really? I, no, oh, she, not yet. She's anyway. great. <laughs> I'll have to check that one. I don't mind trying other other stuff. I did see the Girl in Black Stockings. Mm-hmm which is all right. She became quite the iconic actress, actually. Yep. So. It is a little difficult to buy her as a like a college professor in Sex Kittens Go to College, but still. You know, and she she's, you know. Or in any film, for that matter. Well. <laughs> well. <laughs> yeah. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> that debate is, uh, we'll leave that up to the viewers. There we go. And on that note, <laughs> yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll end on Mamie Van Dorn and, you know, this movie. David, yeah. this was awesome. Thank you so much. I want to let listeners oh, know pleasure. how they can find you, though. You are a writer for Eurocult AV, right? I am a reviewer for Eurocult AV, which is run by a Mr. Scott McDonald, who has a, a lot of uh, stuff to look at on his website. He gets a lot of movies from a lot of labels. Writing. Right on. Well, if there's anything coming up for you project-wise, let us know. We'll mention it on our Facebook page, and we'll have you back on the show down the line. <laughs> Like I said, this ended up being a first time viewing for me, and I meant it. This is probably one of my favorite discoveries that I've had here as the producer of Monster Kid Radio. I'm glad I got a chance to sit down to watch it, and I'm thrilled that we had an opportunity to chat about it here on the show. Again, David, thank you for being part of Monster Kid Radio. We'll have you on the show again down the line once we figure out another movie to talk about. And, well, a bunch of other things we can tangentialize on. Tangentialize?
the day of the Triffids, when terror reigned from the sky. the Triffids, when the Earth orbits into a nightmare, when the solid world of everyday reality disintegrates, and the whole population is driven by fear towards insanity. The day of the Triffids, when destruction closes in from every side. Starvation, fire, pestilence. Anyone caught in the middle of it doesn't stand a chance. I think we ought to get out of here and go on to Spain. How can you know it's any better there? I don't. It doesn't seem to have any central nervous system. Then how does it move? All plants move. And they don't usually pull themselves out of the ground and chase you. I guess I've never been in one spot long enough to get caught. And now you are saddled with a family. It might have its points. The day of the Triffids, when law and order are overwhelmed in an avalanche of terror. C-3PO, Loki, Mace Windu, Dr. Bruce Banner, Captain Rex, Venom, Princess Leia, Jean Grey, Darth Maul, Nick Fury, Grand Moff Tarkin, Captain America, Lando Calrissian, Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson. A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana podcast, and my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer. Which includes movies, Imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never know what we'll decide to talk about. So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana podcast on iTunes. Because now we've got a lot more to talk about. And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney characters like, well, Sully. Fozzie Bear. Buzz Lightyear. Link Hogthrob. Doug. Janice. Merida. Pepe. Bruce. Ralph the Dog. Wally. The Disney Indiana Podcast. Even after five years, we're still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We're not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com. Famous Monsters of Hollywood Magazine names it... Chuck Award winner, the Monster of Piedras Blancas, the Monster of Piedras Blancas, the world's most shocking monster, stalks its unsuspecting prey. 
feasts its eyes on the next victim to writhe in its slimy arms. The screen's most nightmarish beast. A claw-fingered, scaly-skinned, half-human crustacean turning a lonely lighthouse village into a frenzied bedlam of blood-curdling horror. Never have you known such cringing terror, such... drawn by love to the forbidden cove of the sea monster, then trapped in a torment of unendurable suspense. In the screen monsterama of a thousand incredible... See the movie named the most brain-paralyzing shock story of them all. The Monster of Piedras Blancas. This past weekend, I released the first episode of the podcast, Married with Monsters. This is the monthly podcast featuring me and my wife, Brenda, talking about, well, whatever we want to talk about, but I'm always going to try to work in some monster kid stuff. I made sure that I mentioned the movie World of the Worlds more than once while we were talking about the movie 10 Cloverfield Lane. It is part of the feed, so go over to monsterkidradio.net. You can download the episode if you missed it. The show doesn't have its own feed. It's part of the Monster Kid Radio deal. So if you subscribe to the show, you're just going to get it as normal. Just you'll get it on the weekend. Now, this is a monthly show. It'll be coming out probably toward the end of the month. And as long as we maintain the $100 milestone with our Patreon campaign, there will be future episodes. Brenda and I have already talked about what our next episode is going to be about. We're going to talk about the Netflix original series, Stranger Things. I've had a blast bringing Brenda back onto a podcast, something that we used to do a lot on an old podcast. So to have her back in the mix has been a real treat for me. So thank you for helping us hit that milestone. If you are interested in checking out our Patreon campaign, you can head over to patreon.com slash monsterkidradio or follow the link over at monsterkidradio.net. Just click on where it says Patreon. You'll be taken right there and you can watch a video that talks about our Patreon campaign. It sounds a little something like this. visiting the Monster Kid Radio Patreon page. Since 2013, Monster Kid Radio has been covering the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear, and I've been having a blast doing it. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'm the writer, producer, and host of the show, which will always be free to download. However, there are always some production costs involved, hosting, equipment, making upgrades, making special things happen, and that's where the Patreon campaign comes into play. You can help support the podcast from anywhere from $0.35 cents to $10 a month. If you check out patreon.com slash monsterkidradio, you can see the breakdown and see how you're helping Monster Kid Radio, see which milestones we're hitting, and see what kind of rewards you can get for yourself by supporting Monster Kid Radio here on Patreon. Like I said, Monster Kid Radio will always be free to download. We're never going to ask you to pay for a regular episode of the show. However, some of the rewards you can get for supporting Monster Kid Radio range from having your name read during an executive producer roll call segment of the show, special thanks on the website, or even ending up on the Monster Kid Radio mailing list, where every other month you're going to get something from Monster Kid Radio headquarters. Might be a postcard, might be an envelope stuffed with some things I picked up at a recent convention. Whatever it is, it's going to be Monster Kid Radio related. Another reward you can get is bonus content. Now, like I said, the podcast itself will always 
be free. I'm never going to charge for the regular episodes. However, if you support Monster Kid Radio at the hammer level or higher once a month, you're going to get some bonus audio content. Might be some behind-the-scenes material, might be something produced specifically for Patreon, or it might be some things that hit the cutting room floor from a regular episode of Monster Kid Radio. However you choose to support Monster Kid Radio, whether it's just giving us a review in the iTunes store, retweeting the tweets, sharing Facebook posts, letting people know about the podcast, or contributing to our Patreon at any level, thank you from the bottom of my monster-loving heart. Monster Kid Radio is the home of classic monsters, modern talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, and we wouldn't have any of the success that we've had in the past without you. And I can't wait to see what successes we're going to have in the future with your support. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Once again, thank you for being along for the ride and being part of the Monster Kid Radio experience. In truth, I would just talk about these classic and not-so-classic monster movies with whoever happens to come along that I get to do it on a podcast and have you guys and gals along for the ride. Well, it just... Again, it's that Monster Kid gravy that I was talking about earlier. MonsterKidRadio.net is where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. We've got links to our Patreon page, our Facebook group, our Facebook page, and our contact information is over there. Our email address is MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com, and our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. Also, over on the right, you can subscribe to the Monster Kid Radio Gazette, the semi-regular e-newsletter that I put out here on Monster Kid Radio. Bonus content, crossword puzzles, there's a Monster Kid editorial column that I do. I have fun putting it together. I hope you guys and gals have fun reading it, and there will be a new edition of that coming out probably mid-July. So stay tuned for that. There's still time for you to get signed up. And in that release of the Monster Kid Radio Gazette, I've got some congratulations to send to three previous guests of Monster Kid Radio. Go sign up for the newsletter and you'll find out who I'm talking about and why they're getting a shout out. Next week on Monster Kid Radio, we could go a couple of different ways. I'm going to ask you to bear with me because I'm not entirely sure. I can tell you that I have in the can a lengthy conversation with author Peter Rollick about The Creature Walks Among Us, the third and final film in the Creature from the Black Lagoon series. It's all new. The creature walks among us, more terrifying in human form. Striking at the heart of the city with inhuman fury. The creature walks among us. Horror unleashed by the daring of man and a dangerous experiment of science. I have burned away the outer scale. There's a structure of human skin underneath it. The creature walks among us. The grimmest cargo ever brought to civilization. Now a monster made even more frightful by human emotions. Boss Merle Oberon, Lex Barker in The Price of Fear. Two great thrill pictures on one program. Peter and I have been in the same circles, kind of, at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. In fact, we've probably been on a panel or two together in the past. Now, I reached out to Peter last year when I read the anthology Beyond the Mountains of Madness. It's a collection of short stories inspired by the original Lovecraft tale at the Mountains of Madness. His story was called Beneath the Mountains of Madness. It's really cool. One of my favorite in that collection. And we've been kind of staying on each other's radar since then. 
Not too long ago, he posted some pictures from his home where he had movie posters from some classic monster movies. Creature was in there. I asked him about Creature Walks Among Us. We had a little bit of a conversation. He had a great take on it. I thought, you know what? We got to get this on Monster Kid Radio. So that might be coming up next week. However, we've got a few other things in the works as well. So again, stay tuned to monsterkidradio.net or our Facebook page or our Facebook group because I'll make sure I announce there what's coming up for episode 278. You can also hear me once a week on the Dorado Films podcast. Again, that's the doradofilms.libsyn. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. And every other month or so, I also contribute something to Christopher R. Mims podcast. So you can look him up over in iTunes as well. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to go out on the same song that we came in on. That song is Go Go Island. It's from the album Flying Saucers Attack. It's by the band The Urban Surf Kings. They're based out of Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. You can find them over at urbansurfkings.com or again, look them up on Facebook. However you find them, let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. Of course, Go Go Island belongs to the band Urban Surf Kings. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC, though, is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao. Okay.